Welcome to episode 14 of The Matchup, a storytelling podcast from St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where you, the listener, gets to decide who told the most compelling stories. Gosh, it's been 14 episodes. That's nuts. <gasps> Ow, this is episode oh, 14. Congratulations. Congratulations, congratulations to you, too. That's true. We've, yeah, we have contributed to many of those. We've contributed to some, but you've contributed a lot. Oh. Also, <laughs> shout out to Chris, who does uh-huh. not get enough on air. Amen. Amen. Role here. Our wonderful sound engineer slash my husband, Chris Martin. Inc- yes. Yay. Can incredible we talent. Applause <laughs> for Chris. <laughs> 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 Well, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm here with the Reverend Dr. D. Dixon Kinzer. Hi, Dixon. Hi, Jason. And the Reverend Lucy Stradlin. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Jason. How are you? You guys feeling good today? Oh, yeah. Second day in a row with I you know. here recording. We're just recording away. Just on a roll. Can't wait to. I'm feeling desperate into this episode i have lost every matchup oh. uh, so there's a little bit of a trend change um <gasps> you're no tied no in in most of your episodes well, re- oh good, okay. good job <laughs> Sorry. i thought you were gonna tell me that i was beating lucy finally uh, <laughs> oh, God. oh no currently tied for episode nine the most misinterpreted Bible verse. So you're you're right up tied. I do know for a fact, I've heard this from parishioners. There's several parishioners, wonderful, wonderful people who are like, I just can't yeah. vote for one person yeah. over the other. I've heard that too. And I've assured them that it's okay to, to vote, vote for you. For me. <laughs> we were trying to like win over a vestry member last night. Yeah. <laughs> you should vote. It's not picking favorites. Me. Just truly pick who did the better job. And I <laughs> So today we are discussing the best liturgy from the Book of Common Prayer, also known as the BCP. I was hoping y'all could explain briefly sort of what the BCP is for those who are not Episcopalians. And I know that you could probably do like a whole series on explaining what it is, but the short, the quick version would be. Well, I did a whole episode on Thomas Cranmer who put together the first prayer book. So why don't you use. So go listen to that one, the best person from the Reformation. <laughs> but also, Dixon, why don't you talk a little bit about what the BCP is? I mean, I think the elevator pitch version of the BCP is it's this collection of liturgies, which are pre-written prayers that are designed to um, help the a disciple of Jesus Christ in the Anglican tradition be formed spiritually into his image and... Um, connect with God in community um, in most of the major kind of parts of life. So it's there's daily prayers in there that are like morning, noonday, evening, Compline. There's stuff in there for baptisms. There's Eucharists, which is a weekly thing. But there's also like all the prayers when someone gets ordained are yeah. in there and when we consecrate a bishop and prayers for the dead. So it's like these, it's like life cycle prayers. It's daily rhythm prayers. Um, But they are all designed um, to be prayed by the people, which was the distinction coming out of the Reformation, where many of the people in the pews didn't know what their priest was saying Hmm. because it was in Latin. Um, And they were the prayers were mostly prayed for the people or at the people by the clergy. And so one of Cramner's great innovations and uh, a legacy we're still trying to live up to today is a book of common prayer, a prayer that is for and by the people yeah. um, coming together and presenting ourselves to God. Okay, cool. Anything to add, Lucy? Yeah, no, that's great. I um, was just going to add that there are both uh, liturgies that 
like need to be led by someone who's ordained to do that, but there are also liturgies that can be led by any lay person, like morning, evening prayer, yeah. Compline, which is the like right before you go to bed prayers, which are really nice. Um, it also has an outline of our faith. So if you want to know what do Episcopalians believe, you can go to the very back of the prayer book um, and check that out. It's in a question and answer format. Also, all the Psalms all are songs. in the Book of Common Prayer, and those are also really good to pray um, while also giving you some some scripture. So it's a it's it, a great little book. It's it is, <laughs> and it's public domain. It is free. Yeah. Common prayer means common prayer. I mean, you can buy bound editions, yep. but you're not paying copyright on the content. You're paying for the binding because right. um, you can get it online and bcponline.com. Yeah. Yeah. Org? I will dot say, org. Yeah. I think it's dot, dot org. The um, Google it. <laughs> one of the coolest things about us as Anglican Christians is those prayers that were the fixed hour ones, the morning, noon, yep. day, evening, and you talk about Compline. Like we're the only tradition in Western Christianity that where the, the lay people and the, the community mm. praise those prayers. In every other tradition, it's monks and nuns and people right. like that. But like for us, they're, they're very distinctive of who we are in our particular weird way of being Jesus followers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's even like abbreviated versions for individuals and families yeah. um, that you can pray in like two minutes if you yeah. want to stop at certain times a day, every day to pray as like a way to kind of and build a rhythm into your day of, of prayer. We could fill um, a, a basket full of the books that people from other traditions have written about the Book of Common Prayer when they figured it out and then brought it into their tradition mm. and then got made money <laughs> introducing their people to the Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> we have this great original idea. Yeah, <laughs> that I got from this great resource. <laughs> anyway, Thank you. Yeah. So in each episode, our two guests will present their case. We'll talk a little about it. And after the episode, you'll vote on who told the most compelling story. I'm the only person who knows what story each person is going to tell and who will go first until now. If that's okay with you, Lucy, I'd like to pick. Because in the past, Lucy has been a little critical of my choices. Just that one time. Just, just the one time I needed to tell you how to do your job. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Jason, if that's okay, Lucy, would you like to go first? Um, that's okay with me. I would love to go first. Okay. Um, thank you. All right. I have selected, first off, I should also say, probably true for both of us, that this is like trying to pick between your kids, you know, right. like I love all of them, all the liturgies of the prayer book, love what they do, their distinctives. I mean, there are so many times we finish doing one of these services together. And we all come back and just sort of marvel at what the prayer book led us into or the way it resourced us to be with people and um, connect them with God. So I love them all. And yeah. the best liturgy from the Book of Common Prayer is the Great Litany. Okay. 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 I I am not at all surprised. That <laughs> <you> <laughs> I'll be interested to know why are you not surprised? Because you love the Great Litany. Yeah. Why do you think I love the Great Litany? I can't wait to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the Great Litany. Um, but anyway, I, I so I if you don't know the litany, dear listener, um, here's the deal with it. It is the first prayer that is translated into English um, in England. Um, basically, when Henry breaks with Rome, um, 
and Cramner is his archbishop, um, he kind of leaves everything the same for the most part. Like he doesn't really get into, like he doesn't want English Bibles, like stuff like that. Like there's, there's a lot of things, his, his interests are mostly political. Mm. Um, however, he is at war with France and Scotland. And so he tasks Cramner, his archbishop, to go and put together and write, translate, compile um, a litany to be used in church service, worship services in the kingdom so that they can pray for the nation. And, and this is basically, the, the great litany is a prayer for times of national distress, of crisis, of emergency. Um, and so, which in, you know, the 1500s was every day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's got this really kind of cool distinctive um, in, in that writing prayers in English was a risky and politically fraught thing to do. Um, and the first one is this one. Um, so litanies are not unique to the Episcopal Church or Anglicanism. Um, it basically is a, it means a kind of a particular kind of prayer with set responses um, um, that uh, are said by a leader and then the responses are offered by, uh, it could be an individual or a community, but there's like set bidding, set responses. Um, it go, they go back to Judaism. Judaism has litanies, but um, in Christianity, it's been part of our liturgical worship um, since like the fifth century. Um, mm. And so like, yeah, that's why I say Cramner compiled it. And you might even have more juice on that if you did Cramner for your <laughs> reformation. I don't think I looked at the litany specifically um, about where it all came, like the sources. I looked at several of his sources, but I don't remember the litanies. But he's he's a he's a he's a writer, but he's a compiler. He was more of a curator yeah. or like compiler. Yeah, yeah. That's right. He's pulling from composer. all over. Composer, yeah, composer. So, um, but basically, the the one that we have today that's in our prayer book um, is kind of a fusion of two uh, the two forms of ancient litanies. One was. A, a set of litanies that you would pray, basically asking God for safety, deliverance, and good harvests. So this is where like our Rogation Day stuff mm -hmm. comes from. You know, God send rain, take care of the crops. You know? um, certainly in those days there was a deep awareness of how much you were not in control of what you needed to survive. Mm. Um, and we have lost some of that uh, today, but I, and that's part of why I like the litany is it's like throws that up in our face. Um, and uh, so that was one kind of litany. The other was one for like personal prayer and piety, um, prayers for time of death. And so the litany that we have as the great litany is kind of this fusion of the two. You get those big picture like prayers for deliverance, prayers calling on the kind of salvific power of Jesus um, to sustain us and heal us and care for us in this world and prayers for of personal piety, prayers for our enemies, prayers for these kind of things. Um, they used to, we, we do the litany at St. Paul's always the first Sunday of Lent. Um, and, uh, and then we also have done it at other times um, that are times of like distress and emergency. It used to show up all the time. Why do we do it the first the first Sunday in Lent? It is a particularly penitential kind of order. It's okay. got lots of prayers that are asking for specific kinds of forgiveness. Mm. Um, um, it is it puts you in a frame of mind when you pray the litany um, of 
the ways you need to forgive and be forgiven. Uh, and it's wonderful in Lent. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's always been part of Lent. As far back, I, I couldn't find a place that was like, they never did the litany in Lent until mm-hmm. blank. Like it was always, but it used to be something that they were doing like weekly in morning prayer, like after morning prayer, after the college, they would do the litany on, you know, certain weekdays and then it would show up in different seasons more um more often in um uh it's still i think recommended um in the prayer book that the litany be done more often in lent than just the first sunday so it shows up in in lots of different ways um uh oh it's also um it's used during coronations Mm. so in theory we're going to see it when charles is coronated Mm. um we'll see um how that goes um, but it's called the Great Litany um, because it is distinguished in our prayer book from other litanies that are in there. This is the first prayer book to call it a Great Litany, but you know there's like a litany um, for ordinance that's in the prayer book. Mm. There's a litany of Thanksgiving and the prayers and Thanksgiving section. So the Great One um, is the distinctor of this particular kind of comprehensive big old litany that it has all this kind of history um, in it. So that's what litanies are. Um, one of the reasons that I think it's so awesome, or maybe the main reason that I think it's my favorite liturgy or the best liturgy, is that the litany is what you pray when you don't know what to pray. Hmm. It's like my um, one of my old friends tells a story about um, after 9-11, um, phone rang at the church, and this is my church in Nashville, and the call was from this big Pentecostal church um, in Nashville, like thousands of members, mega church. And he's calling the Episcopal church because he's like, this thing has happened. We don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have any resources to address something like this. And our people want to pray. and We don't know what to pray. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let me introduce you to the great litany. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, the story is he's reading it to him over the phone. And this guy's Pentecostal, so he has a different kind of affectation. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, this is this is blessing me. This is blessing me. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Praise God. Like he's like into it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but like, like when we have had in my time here, there's been threats of war. Like we've gathered yeah. to pray the litany, you know, and had the Eucharist. Um, I, in fact, I remember we put that out. There's been a lot of times we've prayed the litany, sadly, yeah. sadly. Yeah. Um, but like, I remember putting that out on Facebook, Jason, and that we were going to do it. And I got a call from one of my, another priest in the diocese colleague that was like, hey, so I see you guys are doing like a Eucharist with like special intentions for peace. Like what, what liturgy are you using? This, you know, thinking it's going to be some creative, like where, where'd you source this unique thing? And I was like, uh, the great litany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just, yeah. just doing, we're doing the prayer book. Um, we prayed it after the Mount Tabor shooting last year, yep. Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. Um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of that thing. We, I mean, we prayed it, prayed it after Uvalde, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like it, it is, it is words for when you have no words. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's comforting in that respect because it, it's orientation of, I need help really fits the bill in those moments. And when our people come together that have been with us in those moments and prayed it, like it has been sustaining. Like yeah. God meets us, in my experience, has met people um, really powerfully through the litany um, mm. in those moments. So um, I just, I love it in that sense. Um, we, um, it's also um, 
you, you can say it or chant it. We happen to chant it um, in Lent. It should be mentioned. Mm. But um, but I, I've, I pulled out a couple of particular biddings that I thought were awesome that I want to close with. Because there's quite a few, right? There's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a litany. And uh, litany, you know, sometimes a shorthand for someone's like long list of whatever. <laughs> Lucy had a litany of problems with the bullets in this week. <laughs> um, so... Um, Okay, I think I said that part. Yeah. Um, all right, first, one of the biddings. Remember not, Lord Christ, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forefathers. Neither reward us according to our sins. I love naming the fact that sin can feel rewarding. Mm. Like, we we will engage in sinful activity, not because we're like, I'm trying to do bad things, but because sometimes it feels good. Yeah. It's what we want to do. Like I would much rather gossip about somebody than forgive them. I would far rather, you know, th- think about be, be selfish in my own appetites than temperate, you know? Right. And so I love the prayer. It's similar to in the Lord's prayer, lead me not into temptation, but I love how specific it is. Yeah. You know? Don't reward me according to my sins, please. God, don't like get in my way. Yeah, you know, make this make this not work for me. Um, so I love that one. Uh, okay, second one. Um, May it please thee to make wars to cease in all the world, to give to all nations unity, peace, and concord, and to bestow freedom upon all peoples. Um, I picked that one out because um, I was having conversations with Dr. Mark. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about the liturgy. We were confiding in each other. Oh, you cheated. About. <laughs> you I didn't cheat. Oh, you know, cheat. No. But about I was, this episode? No. You had to call a friend. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about the litany, and um, he was saying that he has heard people dog on the litany and because of its history of coming out during Henry's wars. And, oh, mm-hmm. it was just this prayer that was trying to prop up nationalistic ambitions. And, you know, like it was. Some, it was suspect because of that. And Mark points to that bidding, and I was really persuaded by it. Well, if it's a prayer that was supposed to like support a national war, it prays specifically that all wars would end. Yeah. And so wh- whether that's true or not in the mind of Henry, um, it certainly has a subversive character in its appeal for mm-hmm. peace that way. And I like that. Um, okay, I love this one. Um, there, I, I was with, before I knew who Stanley Hauerwas was, I was at a thing with Stanley Hauerwas. Um, and Stanley Hauerwas, if you don't know, dear listener, is um, an American theologian and ethicist, taught at Duke Divinity School forever and ever, was like one of the most influential theologians of the last 30 years, um, and is famously cantankerous, hmm. um, button-pushing, hmm. um, Honorary. But I was at an event and Hauerwas asks the room, he's like, let me start this by asking you a question. How do you want to die? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone's like, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, people, I I remember because I had a a response that gave him pause. Um, But he was looking for, and what he got out of the room mostly was um, these responses that are kind of like, well, I want to die peacefully uh, in my sleep, you know, surrounded by people I love. And and he goes on to talk about how in contemporary American culture, much of the pain of, that comes from dying 
is in the awareness that we know we're dying when we're dying. Mm. Um, we don't want to know we're dying when yeah. we're dying. We want to be blissfully unaware of yeah. it. We don't want to engage it. Um, and he contrasts that with prayers like this one from the Great Litany, um, where we ask, um, deliver us from, from all oppression, conspiracy, and rebellion, from violence, battle, and murder, and from dying suddenly and unprepared. Um, like, and he recognized in this talk, and it was so illuminating to me, that going through the process of dying takes preparation when it's done well. Like mm -hmm. Christians don't want to die suddenly. We want to reconcile with yeah. our enemies, which he was saying when this prayer was written was mostly people's families. Um, <laughs> you know, we want to make sure that we have you know, made arrangements for the people that we care about if we have yeah. like end of life things to do with our estates or finances and stuff. So I just, I loved that. It was another like subversive prayer that cuts against the conventional wisdoms of like our, our desperate attempts to hallmark channelify death. Mm. The great litany says, no, here's what it is. And here's what the value is. Mm. You don't want to die suddenly and unprepared. You want to have plenty of time to die well with the people you love in the presence of God. Um, so I love that. Um, that one always gets me to that particular petition in the litany of, of mm. like, it just, yeah, it, I love when we are reading something from the prayer book and the words are so old, but feel so relevant and personal. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. this is time. Like, I mean, it's just, of course, that's something that we still pray for. Amen. Even though these words are really old, they're not irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and there's several points in the litany. I feel like that are like, Oh, this could have been written today. Totally. Totally. So that's why the Great Litany is the best liturgy from the prayer book. <laughs> so why did you think that I would pick the Litany? Um, or why did you think that I loved it? I mean, I kind of knew that you loved it. Like, because I like ever since I've worked here, we've used it more than I did at my previous parish. Mm. And I, you know, I noticed it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, no, I don't know that I have like a reason. I just have observed that you love it. And I don't not love it, but I just, I'm just not. When you said that, I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like you have like a crush on somebody. And they, by the time you get around to acknowledging, it, everyone's like, oh, duh. We duh. know. <laughs> we know. You have a crush on the Great Litany. Why'd you get around with the Litany? Dixon and Litany. <laughs> so, uh, Lucy, you did not pick the Great Litany. I did not. Did 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 Dixon swerve you from your original idea of what the best, the most interesting <laughs> liturgy is? <laughs> no. Or do you still believe? What's funny? Oh, did he change my answer yeah. just now? Yeah. No. No. Quick <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Let me take a second so I can be clear about how not persuaded I <laughs> yeah. was. I think he actually added to what I'm going to say. There so. was a, there is a little overlap. Yeah. I think. yeah. So why don't you take it away? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know? I always I wanted, don't. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, what's funny, Jason, is so we had the meeting uh, in like May, was that? Yeah, to something pick like that. our topics yeah. and and you tried really hard to go ahead and get us to choose our answers for those topics back right. in May. And this was one of the ones that I, because Dixon was going on sabbatical, we went ahead and chose our answers, even though we weren't recording till now in November. Yeah. Um, and so I chose my answer way back then. But this has happened with other podcast episodes where I've chosen my answer months ago. And then for, in some way in my life here at St. Paul's, the answer, I've gotten to like live into the answer more. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, and so I chose the burial service. 
Yes. Um, and I specifically was thinking about Right One because um, they're both beautiful. Um, but when I think of the burial liturgy from the prayer book, there are certain, when I think of like a lot of the beauty, I think of the Right One version. Mm. They're both beautiful. So if you love the Right Two version, no. This, this, a lot of what I'm going to say goes about both, but I'm just quoting especially from Right One. Um, and the rights being... Like, what's the difference between right, right one? Oh, right? yeah. The right one language is more like, um, a lot of times people say like Elizabethan language. It's mm-hmm. the, um, but it, it, and sometimes it is more poetic. Um, so even though it doesn't feel as comfortable for our tongues because it's a little more unfamiliar, yeah. there's also a lot of beauty in it. And, um, and they have slightly different tones, especially in the Eucharist. We could, we could do a whole other podcast. Yeah, about there probably that. will be an episode. Um, but for the burial, there's a lot that's um, just really poetic in the right one version. Um, so I chose this. And then we, um, if, if you attend St. Paul's and I've been following, we've um, actually had to have a lot of funerals here over the last several months. Um, and that has only served to increase my appreciation for and respect for this particular mm-hmm. liturgy. Um, as a priest who is leading that kind of service that is so... Um, um, you know, sometimes it's been a, a death that is expected and, yeah. and there's yeah. always grief, but sometimes it's, um, sometimes there is more, uh, more grief at the surface than others because, you know, it just depends on the kind of death and the timing and all that, as, as you all know, um, yeah. anybody listening. Um, and so as a priest who is leading it, I am like so grateful that these beautiful words have already been written. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what we would have done having to have yeah. done the number of funerals for beloved people in our community, um, the number that we had to do in a row, I, I, sh- I don't think we could have possibly yeah, done yeah. that, like that emotional toll taking that. Um, or if you were trying to like make it up, you know, in the spot or make it you know, personally significant. Or something, right. Yeah. Like how do you even, yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, I, th- I chose it as the best liturgy because I think it encapsulates something that's wonderful about having our book of common prayer, which is that we don't have to make it up. And, um, it's, and sometimes that might feel frustrating for folks. Like I wish things were more, um, personal or were more felt newer or more contemporary, but there's a timelessness to what we get to pray that just covers so much. Like, um, when, when you don't have to try to find the perfect words for something, you get to just sort of rest in the words that we have and like, trust that people have been praying those words for a really long time and um and that god is like showing up in that and that these words have been put together by committees of people across the generations and um so you're joining with that in prayer rather than being like it's all on me to pray to make up the perfect words and to pray them it's like we're not just saying these words for this person we're saying them for every person we've ever said them for and and will like it's this this whole communion of saints thing that we get to do when we pray these words that have been said for generations mm-hmm. um so yeah and i so i just have had like even more appreciation and um and something happens when we do a service a burial at saint paul's like i i've gotten to watch it over and over again where there's so much um that you're bringing to a service when you're you're grieving but there's something that this service does. Um, there's a way that God shows up and like a beauty to it that is really healing. Um, and where people will just come up to us afterward and just say, thank you like that. And it's not 
us doing it. It's that we get to be a part of it and yeah. we get to share this. Um, yeah. And that, that <laughs> like, I hope that no one ever mistakes that for anything that like we're particularly good at because it's these, it's these words and the service. And yes, we try to be intentional and thoughtful and do it yeah. the best that we can, but um, it really is like a, a huge gift of this liturgy and the music and the flowers and all the things that we do to try to make something special all contribute yeah. to that. But um, it's just a gift. I was going to say, do you think part of that is is how complete it is because yeah. of the time that's been taken to care for it, curate it, yeah. put it together? Refine like, it over the generations. Yeah. Yeah. It covers all the bases. You know, At a wedding, you find that people mm-hmm. are like, it was so beautiful. It's because it hits the beats that you're expecting. Yeah. I think at a funeral, though, it says all the things that need yeah, to be said. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about our different liturgies. And for me, the burial especially, like, there is apparent theology in it. Like, it, there is, it teaches you something in the service. Yeah. And and I think probably all of our liturgies do that in some way. But in the burial service, it's very obvious. Mm. Um, there's even a description um from the prayer book that I that, that we include in every um, or that St. Paul's includes in every order of service. Every time you get a leaflet at a at a funeral, it includes these words, um, which says, "The liturgy for the dead is an Easter liturgy. It finds all meaning in the resurrection, because Jesus was raised from the dead. We too shall be raised. The liturgy, therefore, is characterized by joy in the certainty that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present." nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This joy, however, does not make human grief unchristian. The very love we have for each other in Christ brings deep sorrow when we are parted by death. Jesus himself wept at the grave of his friend. So while we rejoice that one we love has entered into the nearer presence of our Lord, we sorrow in sympathy with those who mourn. And that really sums up what we're doing in the service. I've been, we are grateful and celebrating the life of this person because, and we can be joyful and hopeful because of the resurrection and because we believe that they are in the nearer presence of our Lord, which is an astounding and beautiful thing. And yeah. that's what we're getting to, yeah. to say and, and to celebrate. And that shouldn't ever make someone feel like, oh, I'm not allowed to be sad. If I'm sad, I'm not being a good Christian because that's, also not true or real like that that's not real that's not real life and so it holds space for both of those so there's both this like hope all the way through it and this yeah we're also grieving because we're going to miss this person so there's all these prayers for the person there's prayers for those who love them there's um it just like you said it's complete It, it covers all of it um I wanted to uh, talk. So you talked about Stanley Hauerwas. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk about Ellen Davis real quick. Hmm. So uh, we're just we're shout really like Duke. shout out yeah, to Duke Divinity School. <laughs> Ellen Davis, if you don't know, is um, an Old Testament scholar who has taught at Duke Divinity for a long time, um, and she's amazing. And we watched a short clip of her um, in a recent adult formation class that Sarah had found this video from Work of the People. Um, which is a resource for adult formation. Um, And uh, Ellen Davis is at Duke Divinity. She's an Old Testament professor. She also happens to be an Episcopalian. Um, And so in this video, she ends up, it's not just for Episcopalians, but she ends up talking about the liturgy. Um, And I just, I wanted, I I like typed this out (laughs) from the video um, while she's talking because it was so, it just helped my argument. (laughs) 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 Um, But she said, one thing the church has to offer people is beauty. 
And that's probably why I'm an Anglican Episcopalian. Because the liturgy lifts my eyes. It lifts my heart in the language of the liturgy up to the Lord. It's language, it's music, it's beautiful. And beauty is not something that is always easily on offer in our daily lives. It reminds me that without denying any of the sordidness, any of the ugliness, any of the muck that we have to be aware of as Christians, without denying any of that, there's still something in the Psalms, something that the Psalms call the beauty of holiness, and that that's a reality, a sort of overarching reality about our world that maybe we only glimpse in moments, but the church, when it's doing its job, gives us glimpses of that beauty of holiness that might possibly be the most important thing it has to offer. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the this is a short, but the next thing she said is it also offers us, again, if it's doing its job, places to speak honestly about the stuff that is far from beautiful, to speak honestly about, um, about it, but not without hope, not without love. Um, and so I think the burial liturgy in particular does both of those things. It's beautiful and it's also honest. Mm. Um, so the yeah i already we already kind of talked about like it's it's personal but it's not too personal like we 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 can personalize it there are ways to pray specifically for the person we offer a homily that um you know talks about who this person was in their life but we always connect it back to the gospel and yeah. like that that is what we are talking about in the service like the good news of christ is what the service is about mm-hmm. which i think is really liberating because it means that it doesn't matter how you lived your life. Like you might have been yeah. someone everybody calls a saint of God, a perfect person seemingly, but like, or you, you were very flawed <laughs> and you have complicated relationships with your family. And you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Like that is also okay. And yeah. when it, when the words aren't having to be completely about this person and we're trying to, you know, people always want to say nice things at a, at a funeral, which is a good impulse, but, um, but we're also all human. And so when it's not so personal, there's space to let someone be human and to also let this be not about any one of us in particular, but about what God has done and is doing. Um, The other thing about that is you can have been a millionaire and you can have been, had zero money in the bank and have almost exactly the same funeral. Like people might choose to add on some things um, musically or something like that. But like, if you watched, Queen Elizabeth's the Queen Elizabeth II's um, funeral, it's familiar words. Like yeah. you could literally be the Queen of England, <laughs> or you could be someone no one has ever heard of yeah. and have essentially the same service. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. That says a lot about what we believe of like each person is a child of God and has an inherent dignity and is beloved. Um, so I love that about it because in our culture there's you know, that's not the norm right. to have basically the same thing, no matter who you are, what your status was. Um, I like how that extends to like the physicality of the service with the pall going over yeah. the coffin or the cremains. Like you don't get to have your own um, receptacle displayed, right? yeah. you know, and anything that's on top of it gets covered by mm-hmm. the same pall. So it's, you, it looks the same. It's the same words. Yeah. 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 Really good point. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, I, I read back and there's a commentary on the prayer book by someone named Marion Hatchett. And I, I went back and looked at the notes about the burial service. And um, the way we do it now is actually more similar to how the early church did it. And as far as like a lot of ties to Easter, it being an Easter yeah. liturgy, um, we wear white 
stoles or uh, white chasuble if um, if there's Eucharist. Um, there's a lot in it that is reminiscent of uh, both baptism and Easter. And that is like very similar to how early Christians um, did did burials. And um, I can't remember how he worded it, but it was something like they were services of like, um, that were dignified, triumphant, and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like still true. Um, they, they changed throughout history. They were different in medieval time, more um, penitential. Um, but we have this kind of return back to like the, the a lot of the Easter imagery and, and the joy that's in the service because we do believe that this, <laughs> we do believe that they are in the near presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the okay, you're going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to highlight a couple parts of the service. Um, the and I'm looking at the right one version, which if you are happen to have your book of common prayer, it's on page 469. Um, but the thing that we say, the very first words that are said in the service, um, they can be sung, but at St. Paul's we tend to say them, um, is it is what's called an anthem. Um, and so it's a three stanzas, and it is pa- like it is directly from scripture. And I I, I kind of wish we had a book of common prayer. Maybe this exists that like highlighted everything that was like almost quoting directly from scripture, totally. because I think most, the average person in the pew has no idea how much scripture we're saying every time yeah, we are point. like saying the liturgy. But, um, so this is, um, basically lifted from, or not, you know, in a good way. This is, <laughs> this anthem is quoting, <laughs> this anthem is quoting John 11, Job, um, Romans and, uh, revelation almost directly. It just isn't labeled that way. Um, and it's just beautiful. It starts, I, so the very first words you hear at an Episcopal burial is, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. So just like if you're sitting there and you're grieving and you're all the feelings that come with being in that service, like the very first words are, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Um, the whole thing is beautiful. I, don't, I won't read the whole thing because I've already read several quotes, but um, I encourage you to just look at it because it's it's really beautiful. And the way it pro- you're pro- processing in is actually really cool too. Yeah, it, it's very impactful and it, yeah, yeah. And so that has been in the prayer book since Thomas Cranmer, mm-hmm. like 1549, to have a, this as part of a procession. And so at times it was like from the churchyard gate uh, into the church or to the grave, um, but these this these words have been said while processing in to do this um for centuries and it it was actually from the serum right which predated the first book of common prayer which was a medieval um order of service liturgy um that that thomas Cranmer drew on a lot for um the book of common prayer and if you want to know more about the serum right just you know ask dixon or me or mark or yeah. like <laughs> we can nerd we can talk your face <laughs> off um and then, okay, the very, so the whole service is really beautiful. Um, I wanted to also highlight the um, anthem at the end. And just tell me if there's anything, like, I. this is all I want read when I'm dying. Like, hopefully a long, long time from now. But um, we say these words at the end, the anthem at the end is the very last word. And to paradise may the angels lead thee, and at thy coming may the martyrs receive thee and bring thee into the holy city, Jerusalem. Mm. That's all I want. 
Like, (laughs) just bring me in with everybody else. And like, I just, you can almost like feel the choirs of angels and saints and generations of people like that that we get to be a part of. Like, even if you have three people at your funeral, you're a part of something a lot bigger. And, and just, I think the beauty of the words themselves is a comfort and like a a balm um, at a time that can be really painful. So I think it's the best liturgy and I'm really grateful for it. The end. It's so funny. The burial liturgy would have, I think was my second choice. Mm. I mean, it's like for all the same reasons. It's yeah. like, and I think you're, I love how you named it. It's in its truth telling, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something we reflect on a lot when we've come away from one of these liturgies, especially at the graveside and you're just, watching families do really hard work and engage a really difficult reality that culturally we work really hard to avoid Mm -hmm. Um, all the way down to like the way we try to rename the service. It's not a funeral. It's a celebration of life or, you know, it's going to be, you know, we're going to tell stories about, you know, like we, the reality of death is so difficult. Speaking of power loss, he talks about how you, you uh, build People have always built temples to the gods they feared. And he's like, you can tell how afraid of death we are by these giant temples we've built called like in his town, Duke 1 and Duke 2, Wake Forest Baptist, mm. uh, Novant, mm. like these enormous, you know, edifices uh, that are, are built to the fear of death. Mm. Um, uh, so, I mean, again, he's being provocative. He's honorary. He's honorary. <laughs> But you feel how powerful it is to say what's true and watch the way it helps open human beings to God to be ministered to and loved and mm-hmm. and doing work that is hopeful and hard. Yeah, we can do both. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah, and this liturgy does does both. It's it names like yes, this is hard, and we have joy and hope in this, which is such like. That, that, that is the robustness of New Testament resurrection theology. Mm-hmm. Like at its like Paul at his like best is all like Jesus raised from the dead and defeated death. We still experience death. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah. In, in true fashion, with Lex Orani, Lex Credendi. So we will pray what we believe. And it's so instantiated in there. I love it. It's not the best one. It's definitely <laughs> second place. <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of your arguments for why the Great Litany is the best one yeah. also work for mine. Really so do. I'm taking this as a win. <laughs> Could we like not have a poll that we are against each other, but you can vote for both of us? No. no, no <laughs> your heart can't take another tie. But. I can't. I want an all of the above category in the poll. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A win for one of us is a win for all of us. There we go. I like that. (laughs) Win. (laughs) Thank you, Lucy and Dixon. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for a good season. Yeah, absolutely. Jason. Could I close with the the words that the celebrant dismisses the people with? Sure. It's like our favorite blessing, or it's at least. Do you want me to do my rundown of like vote and stuff, or do you want? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Poor okay. Jason, we've gone rogue. Now that we're comfortable with this, we're like just getting bossy. <laughs> um, if you want to vote, make sure you do. In the episode description, and note is a link to a poll. Let us know who you think told the best story. Dixon. 
Yeah. It's, it's anonymous, right? You don't have to worry about it. It is like, anonymous. Knowing yeah. who voted for who. I can tell in the metrics who voted for who. <laughs> Dear people. Because everyone's not voting for you. So. <laughs> Make sure you like and subscribe if you want to hear more. You can visit our webpage, thematchuppodcast.com. Make sure to join our Facebook group, The Matchup Podcast, for extra information about the show. We have one more episode for uh, this year before we take a winter break. So make sure and check back next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Dixon, you want to close us out? And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thanks, Just everybody. saying he didn't choose to read from the Great Litany. No! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> Deliver us from battle, malice, and dying simply unprepared. <laughs> See you next time, everybody. <laughs> Cut us off, Chris. <laughs>